Hi, this is Mike McNamara, and you're listening to All Marine Radio on your home for it, the one and only All Warrior Radio Network. You know, I should, I should play some of the artillery noise from Bravo, Common Men on Common Valor, to start this interview, but I don't want to scare the shit out of everybody. Uh, joining me is uh, the, what's your official title, Ken? Person. <laughs> the person that's helped make two documentaries. Uh, one, uh, how we met, called Bravo, Common Men, Uncommon Valor. And uh, if you haven't seen it, you can find it on Amazon Prime. It's one of the best documentaries I've ever seen about what it is to go to war for your country, in particular, you know, the, the war in Vietnam and uh, and Marines' experience, uh, Ken Rogers' experience at Quezon, and uh, watch it all the way to the end when you see those guys c- talk about what it was like to come home to a country that didn't want to deal with them and didn't particularly, you know, care about them at that point and how devastating that was for a lot of them, uh, for everybody. I mean, I, I can't even imagine that because we got our ass kissed because of these guys, what they went through. And then and then that documentary has begot a second documentary called I Married the War. And um, so I wanted to have Ken on, and we'll have Betty on separately, his uh, better half. But I wanted to have Ken Rogers on and, uh, and talk about this experience in terms of uh, both documentaries. So, Ken, first of all, thanks for doing this. You bet. My pleasure. Yeah. How are things in Idaho? Anything exciting going on? Uh, I'm getting my second shot today, so. Really? That's wow. exciting. Yeah, that's exciting. Then you can you can have a mask burning party. Yeah, well, and I can go somewhere. So. <laughs> <laughs> Hallelujah, right? Yeah, well, no shit. So. Right. No, I mean, people are giddy at the thought of, God, I'll, I'll get to go places. Like, what the hell? So uh, I don't have amazing. a problem with the mask. It's just the isolation that gets right. old, you know. So Right. Well, I mean, yeah. when you look at the, if you go to the CDC website, you see that cases from the start of January, uh, when they kind of peaked in the winter two, two days ago, are down 81%. Amazing. And so, yep. and, and they can't explain that, you know, so it's a combination of herd immunity uh, as this thing has gone through the population as well as more and more people getting vaccinated. And uh, so hopefully not too much longer when, uh, when things get, and I think I'm, I'm like you, I, if, if you want me to wear a mask, I don't care. But I think when you see numbers do that, there's a whole lot of people that whose businesses, whose houses, whose livelihoods have been put at risk, you've got to let them earn a living, and you've got yeah. to open the country back up. And if yeah. and if yeah. and if you're at risk, then stay at home until you get your shots. But I mean, you can't do this to people forever. No, and I don't think anybody wants to. So, <clears throat> you know, it's like it's not a good situation. Uh, but anyway, other than that. In Idaho, it's uh, acts like maybe we'll get the end of the winter, and you know, people around here uh, finally figured out that maybe you should wear a mask, uh, and I think that's helped. Right. It took them; it only took them eleven months to figure it out, but you know, and I think that's made a big difference nationally, personally. Better you know, be responsible. Be a responsible human being. 
you know, which is obviously hard to do. Uh, anyway, so uh, we're doing good. Uh, we're excited about uh, being able to go somewhere, though. Well, that's good. Where's the first place you're going to go? Uh, Sonoma County. Oh, really? Up, up in yeah. uh, Northern California. Yeah. Yeah. So, our, uh, our daughter lives there. So, and it's spring break. Oh, uh, so you get to spend some Isadora, time with Isadora. Her. Isadora, <laughs> the granddaughter. So, All right. we got, we're going to go doing some exploring. So, we'll be leaving soon for that. And that's the first trip. So, but we got this film coming on here, this new film. So we have to kind of stick around so we can work on that because people are getting excited. About it, so well, let's talk about. It. So, um, if if you wanna if you wanna hear about Bravo, all you got to do is type in the word Bravo, and you'll see a series of interviews that that I've done with Ken and with Betty, with both of them together, um, and so let's let's proceed with bravo ends what's the how does how does i married the war where do the seeds of that come from well i can't remember exactly when it happened but the thing that i remember the, the most salient thing that i remember that keeps popping up in discussions with betty and i is that we were at a reunion of case on veterans and one of the guys that's in the film said, uh, Betty, you know, Betty, you wives are combat veterans too. And <laughs> that was a big impression on her. And I think for a long time, she just thought I was the way I was. And, you know, it's just, when I went off the deep end and started, threatening to kill people on the freeway and stuff like that. She just thought that was who I was. And we might've been the same reunion or one a little earlier, we were in a meeting and some guy came in and gave a presentation about PTSD and she was looking around and all the wives were looking at each other with this look on their faces. That's my husband. And uh, so it was this notion that these women are, uh, In some form of, you know, in a relationship with a veteran, you know, you're you're not only are you dealing with all the normal stuff that people deal with, but you're dealing with the, the treatise of combat, especially if they're combat people. And I think it's just over time with seeing how successful Bravo was beyond telling the story of Bravo Company 1st Battalion, 26 Marine Regiment at Quezon was how it impacted people. And uh, I think my wife began to feel that she could make a film about the wives of combat veterans and be helpful to a lot of wives, families. And so we started discussing it. It's been like six years now. And uh, so we decided to make it. And but the origin is a comment that somebody makes at a uh, at a reunion. About, right. Well, well, I, I, I want I want you to talk about Betty's got a unique background too, in terms of and she I think she mentioned this to me, um, her grandmother or her mother 
uh, transcribe stories. What uh, could you explain that? Well, I think it was her mother did that, and then, you know, her mother transcribed stories from veterans. Her aunt was a was an officer in the army in World War II and was in New Guinea and the Philippines, and you know, so I mean, they, her cousins she had two cousins in the Marine Corps and one in the army during the Vietnam War one of them was in Vietnam uh you know there's just her parent her dad was in the army in World War II and so she grew up where in an environment where there was a lot were a lot of veterans there were a lot of, of military history in the family and you honored veterans. She grew up in an environment where her mother and her aunt were, you know, you honor veterans. Her aunt and uncle were state commanders of the American Legion and the American Legion Auxiliary in California. I mean, wow. big shots. That's a big deal. And so, I mean, she was just came from this environment where veterans were important people. Interesting. That which you don't know, right? That that which you don't know. Um, I, I have another question to ask you because I, I, I recently went back and did post-traumatic winning for 2nd Marine Air Wing in, in North Carolina and South Carolina. And so I did it 29 times over the course of three weeks. And I listened to you. I see. I, I listened to you. I see a picture of you and Betty. Um, you, you had come home and had been a drinker. Um since when you got back from Vietnam and there's a part of the interview, uh, where you say, you know, I was drinking large sums of alcohol and you say, I was drinking like a case of beer a day and a, you know, a half a fifth of whiskey at night or a bottle of wine. He said, and you say, I was drinking large amounts of alcohol. Now I would venture to say, and this occurred to me that, um, other people in your life had told you, hey, you need to stop doing that. That Betty yeah. Betty was not the first person ever to tell you, hey, hey, lover boy, you need to stop that. What was your I don't think she I don't think she ever told me that. Oh, she didn't. But other people you know, other people had. Yeah. Yeah, my dad. What was your what was your standard response? Uh, go to the bar, man. Right. So, you know, let's go get drunk. Right. You know, shut up and leave me alone. You don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Don't bug me. Uh, yeah, don't, whatever. Don't let the door hit you in the ass on the way out, right? Yeah, yeah. 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 Interesting. Interesting. Um, when, when you, as you guys have developed this, this, first of all, tell everybody where is I Married the War? I got to see a sneak preview of it, um, which I want to thank you guys for. And there's a, there's a line in there not, that's now in post-traumatic winning. And I'll, 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 t I'll tell you about that in a second. But um, where is I Married the War now in terms of coming to market and everybody being able to watch it? Well, we've, we've uh, started entering it in some film festivals. Uh, and uh, Idaho Public Television uh, is thinking about screening it in May. Uh, and then and then going out and trying to see what they can do nationally with it uh, for the other stations. We have uh, been 
wrangling back and forth with people over a a uh, premiere, whether to do a virtual premiere or wait and be patient. Uh, <clears throat> we may put it up on some kind of platform and have a virtual premiere where people can watch it online and like some something like Zoom right. it would be a different platform, but that would be you know, and you would sit down and watch the film, and we would have an introduction, and then we would be have a a, a question and answer period after. But we're we're rolling, man. So it's just. And and how soon will any of that be? Will will it be within weeks, months? But, well, it's like you know, <clears throat> most of these festi- film festivals don't want you to release it in any form until they've got gotten it especially the big ones right. uh you know sundance and uh Con, Toronto Con, Film festival cons yeah and all of those you know the right. big big outfits like that and and you know a lot of times the smaller ones don't care and so we are you know our philosophy is if the door is open you walk through it Okay, so if somebody comes to us and or the situation arises where we're going to think that the, this is going to help, because that's what we're doing here. Well, you know, I mean, we're not going to make any money on this film. We're going to help people. That's what we do. And we, we're educators now. I mean, you know, I never had this figured out when I, when I made Bravo. It's just because I thought somebody needed to hear this damn story. And so we made the film and then we found after the fact that, oh, geez, you know, this has an impact on people. And there was a guy that we were affiliated with. He was a big shot in the Vietnam Veterans of America, and he was a warden in the VAD prison system. And he got us in to screen Bravo at uh, Soledad State's prison to veterans there and then to veterans at San Quentin. Wow. And he looked at Betty and I, and he says, you guys need to understand you're educators now. And your job is to educate people about war and its aftermath. And that's, so that's what we do. And so if the door opens to a really good venue uh, where we can feel like we're helping people, then we're going to walk through the door. Now, that's PBS deciding they want to do it to hell with those film festivals. And if, you know, you know, so it's kind of, we're kind of looking at multiple ways right now, but it'll be out this summer in some form or other. Got it. So. Out this summer. All right. Yeah. Um, so you have your own perspective relative to your own experience of Vietnam. Then you, then you make Bravo. And so you have the, the, the experience of being a documentary filmmaker. Um, as you begin to, um, as you guys begin to, to put uh, I Married the War together, what are some of the things that, that you look at and you point to and say, yeah, that had an impact on me, that had an impact on me, and that had an impact on me? For I Married the War? Yes. Well, I think the biggest impact that it's had on me is that when I'm listening to these women, watching these women talk, and this is from the minute that we interviewed them till now, every time I watch the film, it's like they're talking about me. 
I'm the person that delivers all that shit. That's me. I did that. I still do that. So, I mean, it's an interesting thing for me to watch it as a deliverer of the pain and ang- anguish, among other things. But I'm a person. I'm, you, know, among other things. you know, I mean, I try to do some good shit, too. So, <laughs> But it's like that's the impact it's had on me. Right. And I have been... You know, some of the stuff is moving in that film. I mean, uh, when that lady's talking about her husband committing suicide uh, and the notion of how frantic she was when it happened and for years afterwards is, you know, I never thought about that before. And I think the emotional impact of the things that we do that our spouses react to. And, you know, they talk about, you know, the rage and all of this stuff. I have done all of that. I've delivered all of that to my wife and to my children, to my first wife. I mean, so that's what this film has pointed out to me. And I kind of knew this a lot in the, in the, you know, I mean, I knew this about me, but nobody was, Basically, they're, you know, metaphorically pointing a finger at me and saying, that's you. That's you. And so that I think that's had a big impact on me. There's a part in the in the in the documentary. And it's a, it's a, by just by coincidence. I, I, I don't remember their name. Uh, he is a Marine Vietnam veteran. And she arranges for the family to go to family counseling and the counselor meets with them individually and then brings them all together. And, um, after the the counseling session, he looks at her at some point and says, I have to be a better version of me. And, um, in fact, it's ironic, uh, cause Ken and I were talking about the things we do now that we didn't do before in our lives. And I don't like the word meditation because it doesn't, I can't do it, right? I, I get I'm two minutes into it and I'm looking around, my mind wanders. But I do it maybe for about 60 to 90 seconds, three times a day. That works for me. Ken was talking about, you know, that, that he's been doing yoga for how long, Ken? 17 years. Right. And so, and, and we were talking about, you know, to think that you could go through these kind of experiences. And again, it might be combat, but it might be other, you know, I mean, that when that woman describes her husband's suicide, I mean, it's, it's, it's shitty, right? And you're sitting there listening to it. And to think that we can go through that stuff and not change, right, the, the structure of our lives, the way we do things, and think that it's all going to work out. I look back now and think, geez, man, I mean, how stupid was I to think that? And, uh, but, but we do though. I mean, I, I mean, I, I think Ken and I are pretty typical of guys who go through shit, uh, in our personal lives and our, in our professional lives and think like, you know, yeah, I'll suck it up. I can get through this and we don't, and we, and we don't change. And, and now I look back at it and I'm like, man, oh man, did I make that stuff way harder than it had to be because I simply would not adjust in my life. I simply would not adjust in my life. And I, and I look back now and think, man, what an idiot. 
Well, it's just not that. It's like, <clears throat> I think that when you go to war or go through some kind of really traumatic incident that affects you for the rest of your life, that it, you know, one of the effects it has on it, it kind of dulls you in some ways to the emotional links that tie us to people. And you don't see what you should see in uh, regards to how the other person reacts to you and feels about you and maybe how they want to help you. And, you know, you don't want to go there. I mean, I have that issue. I don't know why. Maybe it's because I got blown on my ass and that's shrapnel in my skull and I got a TBI and I'm not capable of that anymore. I don't know. But, you know, there's this the woman in the film who talks about that her husband's got cancer from Agent Orange and he wants to die and she ain't going to let him. Right. And, you know, that to me is a really powerful moment because it shows the devotion that woman has to her and itself, to her husband and her family is so powerful that I th- think as combat veterans, we don't see that. We may not be capable of seeing that the power of that devotion there because we're numb. Interesting. Numb. And then I think that numbness focuses us inward. Right. And we can't see a lot of us. And and again, I, I don't care what form your trauma takes. So if it's not combat, you know, rape, child abuse, all the things that, that send people into what I call the valley of the shadow of death. Um, you know, we wind up, I think, so focused on how we feel that I, you're right. I don't know that anybody sees. And, and a lot of people say, yeah, yeah, I know. But that's why I think that that whole, that's the, what, that, what that Marine said, I've got to be a better version of me. I think that's so important that, that, that we understand that, look, man, you're, you are different and you're not going back to where you came from and you've got to, you got to put together new tools in your life and you've got to become a better version of a person that's, that's going to be different. And if you begin to understand that, I think that, that you, you get yourself in a position to then be the kind of person. And here's the frustrating thing. It's not like, Guys don't want to be that guy either, is it, Ken? No. You want to be that guy. Yeah, yeah, I think so. But I think so many of us, we don't know how to get there. I do now. But I look back and I think, I didn't have, I didn't have a clue, man. And I'm stumbling. And, and, and I mean, and, and, you know, Ken goes through this shit in the late 60s when he comes home, right? And it was just right. suck it up, right? Suck it up and get. Oh, dr- that, well, that's that's all there was. And and get drunk that's, like like the rest of us responsible people. Yeah, I mean that's all there was. You did, you know, there was none of this. There was no TBI. There was no PTSD, and you better not. And if if there was, you better not even talk about it because you got to gut it up and and don't let the gunny find out, right? right. You know, Jesus Christ, that would be like, <laughs> and that's anathema. So. You know what I mean? Even if you want to be that guy, sometimes being able to step over the chasm is 
the problem, I think. And how do you do it? How do you and, do it? And, and it, yeah. let me tell you, and that's why, I, that's why I love what I do so much because it is all done, it's executed within the context of, of our tribe, of our culture, right? And, and the difference, um, my experience, right, I see somebody decapitated and my gunny pulls me further into the tribe and tells me there's nothing wrong with you, you're ne- but you're never going to get over there. And that was my introduction to mental health. And, I mean, think about that, Ken. I thank God that Lance Y was there that day. Oh, he, yeah. Right? He, cha- he changed my life in such a profound way. And he laughs about that now. He goes, he goes, he still calls me Skipper. He goes, Skipper, he said, you're full of shit, man. This is you, not me. And I said, no, nah, man. I said, you don't understand the effect that you had on me. And he said, well, I mean, I think I do a little bit, but he said, this, this is, this is you. <laughs> and I said, I said, well, you can, you can play stupid games all you want, Gunny. Um, but um, the bottom line is it's not just me, right? This is, this is, you introduced me to that oral tradition that most guys don't get introduced to, right? You didn't get introduced to it, Ken. You know, no. and I was just thankful that, you know, that, and he had been introduced to it by Vietnam Marines in Okinawa when he was, he was a corporal in third recon. And, uh, and, and we'd never had another conversation until about a year ago about how he got that information, uh, how he got that advice. And so I asked, so we had lunch. I hadn't seen him in 20 something years. And so I go down to San Marcos, which is west of, uh, east of San Diego and uh out in the mountains and so i and he we have lunch and dinner and hang out and uh so i asked him how did you get that information he said well i was in okinawa i was a corporal with third recon standing outside my first sergeant was standing there smoking a cigarette and uh he said and i don't know if i made a face but we had a mass sergeant and he'd get off work and he would go to the package store and he'd get a he'd get a half a case of miller tall's and he'd go back to his room, and he'd drink it, and he'd get drunk, and he'd go to sleep, and come back to work, and do this every day. He said, and I don't know if I made a face uh, or something, and but my first sergeant, or I was, or it was just the way I looked at him, you know. My first sergeant stand outside smoking, and he says, he says, you know, he's just trying to get through the night, right? And he said, I was kind of embarrassed that he would notice that what I was thinking or whatever. And I just said, yes, for certain. And then he said, you know, he spent a lot of time in Vietnam, right? And he said, yes, for certain. And then he said, he took a long drag off that cigarette and blew it out and looked at me and said, you know, you never get over that shit, right? And he said, I looked at him and said, I didn't know that first art. And his first art looks at him and says, well, you fucking don't. And he said, that's how I got that information. So, I mean, you know, before there was any of those diagnoses, Ken, I mean, there was a tradition in the Marine Corps of just, you know, of, of there was nobody else to take care of each other but us. And I was one of the guys who got, was, you know, fortunate enough to, you know, to have that, you know, get taught to me. So whenever it, whenever it bothered me, I knew there was nothing wrong because my company, Gunny, had told me there was nothing wrong with me. Mm-hmm. And the significance of that coming from inside the culture, 
as opposed to going to see a therapist who I would never go to a party with, right, who I would never hang out with, telling me, Mac, you know there's nothing wrong with you. You know you're okay. Like, yeah, right, man. Um, so I, I do think it's significant in terms of uh, it being a, a tribal event that comes from inside this powerful culture that we belong to. And I was just really fortunate because, I, I mean, Ken didn't get that advice. He doesn't get that advice. The um, when you look at the when you look at I married the war, um, what was your function? I I saw in some of the sh- wider shots that you're in there and you're kind of doing stuff. What's your What's your job when when you actually go out to shoot? Deliver sandwiches. <laughs> you're the sandwich guy. Yeah. <laughs> We'll get the coffee. No, you know, here, here's the deal. Uh, this is this is my story. Okay, All right. so this needs to be a Betty's story. So I helped with, you know, all the background stuff uh, that producers do, uh, hire people, make plans to you know, trips and arranged trips. And, you know, there's a lot of work that goes on behind the scenes that nobody knows about that has nothing to do with the heart of the situation. It's just work. And so I did a lot of that and I helped with putting the story together, which was difficult for us because with Bravo, this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened at the CGK song. So it was easy for us to just ask the – not easy, but we just asked the guys, do you remember this? And they told us what they remembered. Right. And it ended up in the film. In this case, we were talking to women from World War II, Korea, Vietnam, <clears throat> current Middle East conflicts, uh, and uh, although they have a lot of similar experiences, there were differences and uh, in their stories. And, and then some wives were interested in talking about a particular subject and the other wives didn't want to talk about that. They wanted to talk about something else. So trying to find what the narrative thread was that would be interesting for somebody to sit for an hour and a half to watch it. I helped with that a lot. Uh, But I didn't interview them. I did not create the relationships with these women that allowed them to just open up and talk about some pretty sensitive stuff. Yeah, stuff that you don't talk about. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, so... You know, I, I've always felt fortunate in Bravo that I did the interviewing because everybody trusted me. But I think in this case, it was they trusted Betty because they knew she'd been there. You know, so, you know, and I think that makes a big difference. So, and, you know, I did all the financial shit and uh, did a lot of still photography work and, uh you know, set in and made decisions about the music and this and that. So, you know, I did a lot of research on photographs because our editor, when he put the movie together, he'd just go on the internet and find a picture he liked. 
And so I'd have to go find that picture and find out who had the right to it, licensing rights to right. it, and then see if we could get it for nothing. And you know, and if we couldn't get it for nothing, can we get it cheap? And so, and it was a chore because we had a lot of photos in that film and uh, that kind of stuff that nobody thinks about. You know, you know, finding finding stuff that. Getty doesn't own the rights to. Uh, yeah, no kidding, right? Yeah. Getty, who owns everything. Well, the, and even though they, they say they own stuff they don't own, right? I got photos from Marine Corps Heritage Foundation that Getty claims they own. So, so. so how, how, do you res, how do you resolve that? If they, uh, if just they, to, to, to hell with them. I mean, I got a license from the Marine Corps Heritage Foundation. Got so. it. Got it. Got it. The um no that's I mean that's tedious that's tedious work yes yeah yeah it was tedious and stressful because he kept changing the photos uh, oh I found one I like better and he was right so you know let's just <laughs> just or I need a picture of an orphanage in Vietnam find me one and uh, the photo we ended up using we got from a guy who was with uh, 26th Marine Regiment at Quezon, communications. And he went back to Vietnam with the guy that committed suicide and went to this orphanage that I think the family was supporting. It's, it's they talk about it in the film. And he took some photos of it, and we used one of those. But I went through days trying to find that photo that was he would I found a lot of photos but they didn't work for him and it's that, that's the kind of stuff you do and right. uh, it just and it all happens towards the end and you want to get done and so you know you got that pressure on you and, but we got it done so um, has as people have started to see it um is, is the reaction what you expected? Is uh, because it's you know it, it reminds me of as I began to write years ago, uh, mostly about Marine Corps stuff. You write something right, and you have an idea in your head of what people will read it and say to you, and then they read it and they say something different to you, and you're like, "What?" Um, right. Right. I mean, so uh, you have an idea in your head. Um, uh, as as more and more people have seen it, uh, because let me tell you, um, I, I'll give you my reaction to it. I watched it here in my home. Uh, my daughter, uh, my I have a seventeen year old daughter. She wasn't here, so I was here by myself. And when I finished watching it, I was very quiet, and it made me want to be alone. And I don't, I don't have that feeling very often. But that's the impact it had on me, and. I remember shutting the lights off in the house and just feeling that, that I want to be by myself and I want it to be quiet. Mm. And it's just interesting because um, it takes you to a very, very, as you said, you know, you're a very deep place, especially if you've gone through that and you're a provider of that experience to other people. It's your fault, essentially. And right. um and so, have you been surprised at some of the reactions that people have had to to the film, to the documentary, or 
or has it been what you expected? Well, you know, most of the reaction we've got is is from from women, right. uh, who, you know, we showed it to all the women except one or two who are old and they don't do internet stuff. Right. We're going to be showing it to them, and they all, you know, they liked it. Uh, and we showed it to some women who are storytellers, novelists, and and writers. One of them who's uh, married to a combat veteran. He's a younger guy, and they they loved it. they loved it. I mean, they were just flummoxed by it. It it just blew them away. And so most of the people we've heard from are women. Uh, we haven't shown it to that many men yet or I'm not sure that the women shared it with their husbands although they did one of them said you know she told us how much she liked it and she she said her husband she didn't know what he was kind of like he didn't know what to think about it uh, and probably a similar thing that I feel well that's me delivering that shit folks so well and it's interesting know. because during the um during the film, um, uh, during the filming, um, you'll see pictures of the husband. You'll see sometimes him in the background, and but you never hear from him. I don't think. I mean, with great exception, no. it's about them, right? It's about it's about this woman's story, but so you see them in the background, and um, and I wondered about that. I wondered about that, you know, how, I mean, because it's, uh, as you said, um, I don't know if it's an awkward feeling. It's a sobering feeling. How would you, how would you? Yeah, sobering, you know, and it's one that, you know, causes me to reflect on my behavior. And which, you know, I did, you know, my, I always felt that this film was for, for wives. Or spouses. I mean, we could have made this about spouses, but I just thought it was, we thought, you know, my experience with telling a story like this is the narrower the focus you have, the better it works. So we could have had male spouses in it, but that, to me, it just expands expands the universe of people telling the story, and we're, we're all of a sudden we have gender in there, whether anybody wants to talk about that or not. Right. Okay, so let's just make it about women. So I always felt that this film should be to help women. Let them, t- and I mean, the, the fact that these women got to tell the story, some of them, their lives have moved on in very extremely positive ways. So the act of telling the story, as you know, right. oh, is yeah. powerful. Okay, so there, there's that. But then knowing that you're not alone, and this has happened to a lot of other people, is very important and i think that's what one of the reasons we told this story is so that we could educate people i never thought about my role in creating it in the way that this film forces me to look at nice 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 going shithead yeah, well, you know what? I've been called that a lot. So, <laughs> well, let me ask you though. But, 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 but the bottom line though, Ken, is from that. And again, this is this is what I talk about. Um, 
what you're creating, uh, the joy that you're creating. These women, these women have told their stories and all that pain that they've gone through is now beginning to help other people. That is the whole journey that I talk about, which is from trauma to joy. Right. To, right. To, to think right. that something good is going to come out of that is, is something I never really thought would happen in my life. You know, and it's, it's, and that's to me, that is the journey, right? That is the journey that you want people to go on. But again, until you start talking about this thing, until you throw the carcass out in the center of the room, uh, it, it just doesn't happen. And so, so to me, I mean, I was a huge fan because, because what you did with Bravo is essentially the same thing that you've done with I Married the War, which is you're throwing the carcass in the center of the room. This is it. Right. Right. Here we are, boys. Here we are. Girls. Right. This is, you know, what people, I don't know if I've ever voiced this to you before, but I think what, something that I've noticed about the American public is that we have no clue as a society about the long-term costs of going to war and they're long-term. I mean, we're paying people because they're screwed up and we're paying for their medical costs because they're screwed up and we're paying for this and we're paying for that. And then that's expensive. But underneath that is all of this other shit that goes on, you know, families that are, affected in long-term negative ways. And that's, that's a cost, you know? So I think that what we've done here is besides telling some interesting stories and some, in some places, some extremely moving and powerful narratives, we're also saying, Hey gang, this is what it costs to go to war. And I think we need to think about that. I'm not against war shit. We need to kill Hitler. You know what I mean? But, But it's just like you can't send people off and then rah, rah when they come home and not also understand that 50 years from now, what happened to them over wherever they went is going to be still affecting somebody. in a negative way possibly so well it's ironic that you say that i mean because you know we're unassing afghanistan you know and again in in iraq and afghanistan seven thousand plus in vietnam fifty eight thousand approximately and you know you come home think that i participated in in a fool's errand is that what i did that would, yeah, is, yeah. Is that and that's not a good feeling, right? No, it's not. It's not a good feeling, and it bothered me from day one. You know, it's like, wait a minute, boys, what are we doing here? And uh, and then I come home, and I everybody else that I know has to put up with me. And uh, but I'm, but you know, you you know, one things Ken says in in the audio is that. You know, when you drink and have PTSD, you're an asshole. You're just an asshole. 
and and everybody laughs, right? Everybody laughs that sit there. All the you know whoever the audience is, you know, for a lot of times it's been Marines. They they laugh, right? And he said, "You're an asshole." And uh, he said, "I." And, and then I could, you know, I've heard it so often, right? He said, "I was." You know, he said, and I didn't give a shit either. You know, hurt your feelings, you know, piss you off. I didn't care one bit. He said, and he says, I was an asshole. And then I, you know, and, and I hear this, right? And I say, you know, Ken Rogers, like, he is kind of an asshole. But he's no more of an asshole than most of us sitting in this room. I said, you know what he was? I mean, he's devastated as a young guy. How old were you when you came back from Vietnam? I was 21. I was an old guy. So you're you're an old guy at the age of 21 dealing with, you know, your experiences and a country who who didn't have the time for you, right? Right? And then going right, and then going to the Legion of the VFW and get shit on in one of those places. Oh right, yeah. Right? Yeah. And so yeah. and so then have that that really great experience. And I said and and I say, if you can imagine being treated like that, right? And that, and the anger that would come from that, that you've gone through this stuff, all the things you saw, right? And then you come home and get shit on. I said, those guys had every right to be pissed off. I said, but know this, that pissed off comes from a hurt of the soul. And that's, that's the kind exactly of, right. That's the kind of shit that we're talking about here today. And, and then that's I say, right. and, and I say, and look, that hurt from the soul can come just as easily from being sexually abused as a child, physically abused as a child, having to kiss your mother goodbye when she's dying of breast cancer and she doesn't kiss you back. It can all be as devastating, right? It, it, you know, so, you know, you know, you're hearing from guys who are combat veterans, but trust me, it all applies to everybody sitting in here today. And that's, I think, one of the reasons why what I do has such success is that your source material, man, is, is good. Is yeah, good. it is. It's good. No, right? and it's and it's 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 raw. It's the raw stuff that that I think people relate to, and then that like me makes them quiet and want to be alone to think about their own life. And ultimately, I think it, that in my head, how do I become a better version of me? How do I do that? Well, Bruce will be happy to know that he's now become part of the plan. That's that's the guy's name is Bruce Jones. He's a he's a good guy. So well, no, tell him. I mean, he is. Um, <laughs> he is. Uh, when I talk about it, you know, I talk about um, I talk about uh, um, the movie and that it's coming out. I said, but because of who I am and how important I am, I got to see a sneak preview, and they <laughs> and they laugh. <laughs> they laugh. And I and and I say, but you know, I was struck. Again, my perspective is your perspective, right? I'm the provider of this experience to others. And when he says I've got to be a better version of me, right? It to me, it it is exactly in line with what I know to be true. In that, look, you might want to walk down the path that you thought you were going to walk down in life, but guess what? That path is closed, man. There's a concrete wall that's 50 feet thick in front of that path and you can a lot of us do we just put our nose against the wall and we keep walking and we and and that's where we die you know and so but if you look that the landscape has changed and you have to change with it you begin to understand the challenge and 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 i will tell you 
you can conquer it. I mean, look, Ken doesn't drink anymore. He's a bird watcher. He's a photographer. He's a filmmaker. And he does yoga, for God's sakes. Yeah, among other things. So, <laughs> right? Who yeah, would you know? Who would have thought? Right? Who would have thought? Well, you know, I I think people that knew me back in the days <laughs> are shocked. Right? <laughs> right? They, I mean, like, are you talking? That's not the. We're not, we can't be talking about the same guy, right? Yeah. Right. Right. There's no way yeah. we're talking about the well, same. All guy. those guys I used to, you know, was in his seventies <laughs> when I was hanging around the bar every afternoon. And right. All the crazy Vietnam vets and the. <laughs> the guys that like to fight and all that shit, you know, I and mean, then they're probably going, huh? Who? <laughs> no, sure. You no, know, this cannot be the same human being, right? Right. Right. But it is. And so to me, that's what, that's what that line in the documentary um, means to me as somebody who's, you know, who's been the provider. And when you look at people and say that, that, and tell them the truth, and it comes from inside your culture. So so you go through the ex- experience, and you get the warm arms of your culture that pulls you into it and say, okay, sit down, understand this. You're not going to get over it, all right? But you can live a great life in spite of this, and, and we can help you learn. You are going to have to be a better version of yourself. Know that. And if that's right. where, if if you only got those two pieces of advice, you would be pointed at least in the right general direction, you know, t- to then become what you needed to become, you know, to live a great life. And that's what this is. That's what I mean. This to me, this is about. It's about living a great life, you know. After trauma darkens your doorstep, and and you can do it, but it ain't fucking easy. That's right. Well, you just have to keep at it, you know, because you're going to backslide. You're going to fall down. You're going to make mistakes. Uh, if you have serious post-traumatic stress, you're going to, you know, you're going to, it's going to rear its ugly head. You know, I, I, I say, I tell people, I said, look, just because you know this stuff doesn't mean it all goes smooth. I said, this is like a fight. This is like, it's not like, okay, you sat through this, this period, you know, these three and a half hours of this presentation today, or you've watched about seven and a half hours of of it online. You know, it's not like you're going to Nordstrom's brass and chrome and glass. Yeah, that ain't it. This is like a fight in an alley that backs up against like six liquor stores and four Chinese restaurants. Okay. It's that alley. It ain't pretty back there. It's rough. And you're going to fight your way through that thing, but you could well, do it. You, you, you can, can do, do it. it. You know, if you, you, if, you know, if you can tell yourself, you have to be a better version of yourself and then try to apply it and try to find things in your life that allow you to, you know, my observation about a lot of guys I know who have post-combat mental issues is the ones that I think that are really successful have found some way to be involved in something that's bigger than themselves. And you find something where you can become focused on becoming somebody else beside this withdrawn in living inside your mind and your past and in your disappointment with the world as you've seen it, uh, you need to get past that, and you, the best way to do it is find some way to be bigger than your – involve yourself in some activity where there's a goal that is bigger than just satisfying yourself. That's what I think. 
Well, let me just tell you, that's my experience, is selflessly yeah. devoted to greater than something than myself. And that is what, that's a horizontal theme in every religion, every every form of spirituality. And, uh, and, and to me, you know, Ken and Betty and I, we're all in the same business. And that is, is trying to take these lessons that, that we've learned in life and then show them to others, as you said, become an educator. And I, I tell people all the time, I don't know anybody that's cooler than me. I'm the coolest motherfucker I know. And no, no, you're not. No, you're not. <laughs> no, it's true. It's true. And I, and, and, but the reason for that is, is because of what happens in my life on a daily basis. You know, when you can, when you can help others and, and that are in the valley of the shadow of death and you can show them the path out of there and then you can teach them to teach somebody else. That's that's being that's the gift of education, and it's doing the best you can do with the shit sandwich that life handed you, and I don't know that you can live a greater life than that, and that's what you guys are doing, Ken, and uh, and that's what I I admire and respect so much about you guys have found a way uh, to create uh, something joyful out of uh, something trauma tra- traumatical that that you guys have uh, you guys have uh, gone through. And so I'm, uh, as you know, I'm, I'm huge fans of, of what you guys do. And, uh, you know, the, the poster child for you're never going to get over this is Frank McCauley. Oh, of course. Right. And in that interview that you said he almost didn't do that, he said he wasn't going to do Then he came back and did it. But, but if you watch Bravo, uh, probably two thirds of the way through it, there's, or maybe half of the way between half and two thirds, there's a, they recount a thing called the payback and um it's an attack they did and there's a guy named frank mccauley that as you're watching him talk about it he's reliving it in in slow motion high definition he's he's recounting it for you and so if you want to see an advertisement for you never get over it all you got to do is watch frank mccauley and the way traumatic experiences are embedded in your brain tissue it's there. Yeah, it's that's the case, and not just him. The skipper and oh man, Michael O'Hara and Steve Weiss. I mean, those guys are. You know, I mean, you can. It's all over their faces, and it's right. it's etched there in the pain that these experiences leave you with. Right. That pain is there forever. forever. And and forever. so to me. Yeah. To me, if you if if you're fortunate like I was to start out with guys like Gunny Y looking at me saying you're never going to get over this, you look at that and it's it's totally consistent and congruent, and reinforcing and ultimately soothing, to say, yep, they're just like me, they're just like me. I'm no different from them. And and while it's not a happy place to be, at least you, somebody's telling you the truth. Yeah. And when when you hear another Marine say. You know, I've got to be a better version of me. Makes total, total sense. Make total sense. Yep. yep. All right. So, what should people do? They can go to the website, uh, which is very, very easy to, find, which is very, very easy to find. It's imarriedthewar.com. And so, if they uh, if they go to the website, um, they can uh, they can just they'll find out from the website how uh, you know how and when they can see it. Yeah. Uh, that's one place we're going to go to if they're Facebookers. I Married the War has a Facebook page which is pretty active. So either place. <clears throat> got it. 
Got it. All right, sir. Well, first of all, thank you very much for doing this. I always enjoy your perspective and the conversation. And I just want to commend you guys for um, the life-changing work that uh, that you've already done. And, and I think um, this is going to be, you know, a, a huge a huge piece because I've never seen anything really like it. And, uh, and, and I hope, I don't care what gender you are, that you're going to sit there and you're going to say, that's, they're telling my story right there, you know? Yeah. And yeah, hopefully. Yeah. yeah. No, I don't think you have to hope, man. Congratulations. Except for five. Yeah. Except for five. See you again. Bye. But that is the one and only Ken Rogers. And, uh, I'll tell you what, man, I have, I have a cool job. I have a really, really cool job. And, um, I don't know that you hear those kind of conversations too many other places. You know, I hope you do. Uh, but my instinct is that you tend not to. And uh, I've been very fortunate to be able to do something that I love and cross and pass with Ken Rogers and Betty Rogers, who you'll uh, hear from probably next week at some point, um, has been uh, one of the highlights of the last five years. Uh, their work their insight. Uh, they essentially travel the same path that I travel uh, in post-traumatic winning. And so it's very, very cool. And so uh, happy to do that today and uh, excited when uh, their documentary is released to the public so you all can see it. It's called I Married the War. The The website is called imarriedthewar.com. Pretty easy to find. And uh, you can donate if you want to to what they're doing. You can uh, you can get updates and uh, stay abreast of when that thing actually comes out. Because if uh, this has been a part of your life, somebody in that documentary is going to tell your story or tell significant parts of your story. So there you have it. Ken Rogers here on a Tuesday. <laughs>